As we come to God's Word this uh, today, please have your Bibles open to Exodus because we'll be referring back to it. And there's also a very simple outline in the e-bulletin. But before we begin, let's go to God in prayer. Let's join me. Father, as we come to your Word today, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have caught us the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and your incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Amen. As you know, we are coming to the end of our series on Exodus, uh, Exodus chapters 1 to 18. So I thought that we might do a simple quiz. right? So I'm going to ask you to guess these stories in the book of Exodus from these silhouettes or shadows. And the first one comes on. It should be quite simple. This is Moses meeting God, right, at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The next one. You may recall that the Israelites were putting blood, they were painting the blood on their doorpost and the lintels. And this is on the day of Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And the next one. Right, the famous sin. Right, where Moses parts the Red Sea in Exodus 14, and Israel was able to cross through the Red Sea. Now, sometimes we can very easily know what something is from the shadow or the silhouette. But sometimes shadows can be deceiving. Like this supposed ship, it, it gave me, uh, it caused me to take a second look. Right, it looks like there's a ship there, but really, if you look closer, it turns out to be the shadow of the breach, right? Or the next one, this cat on the door that casts a shadow, like Batman, right? Well, sometimes people can't even tell downtown Katachuga from Singapore, right? So this is a, a colored photo that was uh, circulating on the internet. And this person can't even tell that this, of course, I think the person is joking. The picture was uh, MBS, and yet the person think that it was somewhere in Tennessee. Right? There are also examples of this shadow and reality in the Bible, throughout the Bible, and this is called typology. The Apostle Paul refers to the ceremonial law in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, and he says this, This are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Or in the words of uh, Augustine of Hippo, the 5th century bishop of Hippo, he said this, In the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. So how do we see the substance from the shadow? And how does the New Testament reveal what was concealed in the old? This past three months, we've been reading Exodus chapters 1 to 18. And now before we take a break and we return to it sometime in October, we're going to be looking at how the Lord Jesus relates to Exodus, particularly in regard to the many roles that Moses played in Israel's history. In other words, how was Moses a shadow of the Lord Jesus who was to come? And how does the Lord Jesus Reveal the fullest meaning of Exodus. Breaking down the chapters uh, of the book of 
Exodus, we may see that Moses' role may be defined in chapter 1 to 15 uh, as prophet and deliverer. In chapters 15 to 18, Israel was to be God's obedient son, but they failed to do that. In chapters 19 to 40, Moses was also to be the lawgiver, the worship leader, and the priest of Israel. But today we'll just stick to the first 18 chapters. Right? So we see that today, uh, according to our outline, that the Lord Jesus is the new and greater prophet. He's the new and greater deliverer. And he's the, the obedient son of the Exodus. Okay? So firstly, we'll be looking at how the Lord Jesus is the prophet of Exodus. As the book of Exodus opens, God has been faithful to keep his promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From the 70 sons of Israel who entered into Egypt, God had blessed them so that by chapter 1 verse 7 we read, The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The only problem was the land wasn't theirs. God's people had grown in number, but they remained foreigners in Egypt. There, the Israelites were feared by the Egyptians, who enslaved them and made their lives really bitter with hard service. Recently, China just changed its decades-long one-child policy, Right? because they just changed it five years ago to a two-child policy. And due to declining birth rates, just recently, the Chinese government announced that they are now going to allow up to three children. But it's perhaps too late, because couples have already gotten used to a carefree lifestyle with one child or none at all. Pharaoh also decreased a policy here for population control and it is infanticide. Every, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. It is in this very dire situation that Moses was born, and he was spared by God from death, so that he can be used to save God's people. And this was because of God's covenant faithfulness. We see this in chapter 2, verse 23. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so in Exodus chapter 3, God caught Moses to deliver his people at the burning bush. And in verse 13, this is how Moses replied, God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, friends, a key role of Moses in the book of Exodus is to be God's prophet or spokesperson. He was to proclaim God's will, which in this case was to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt to worship him in the promised land. Moses was to reveal God to the people of Israel so that they would know him. And so God introduced himself to Moses by his personal name. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And this has been condensed into four consonants called the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, and very often is pronounced as Yahweh. And this divine name, Yahweh, was to show that God's very nature would be revealed by his deeds for his people. We all know that Singapore aims to build this Founders Memorial Park uh, in Gardens by the Bay, latest by year 2027. And this whole thing was conceptualized in 2015, after the death of our first Prime Minister, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. And the idea was to honour all our founding fathers who have laid the foundation for modern Singapore. Likewise, as Israel's first prophet, Moses had laid the foundation for Israel in the giving of God's law, which includes the Ten Commandments. He deserves to be remembered, and his God does remember and honour him. Near the end of Moses' life, God said to him, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. But we are told by a later editor, likely writing, hundred, writing this hundreds of years later, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 onwards, there has not arisen a prophet sins in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders whom the Lord has sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. So where is this long-awaited prophet? When will he arrive? It's only in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that we hear of his fulfillment. This is what Peter said. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. 
And verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here, Peter was saying, of course, that the Lord Jesus was this prophet like Moses. But the Lord was also far more than Moses. In fact, he is the one whom Moses himself points to. As the new and greater Moses, the Lord Jesus is God's final and complete revelation to us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, we read this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, brothers and sisters, God's old way of revelation by the prophets in a piecemeal and varied way is now being replaced by his new way, his final and decisive revelation in Jesus Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ himself is God. He is the one who radiates God's divine glory and he bears God's exact image. So if you've ever wondered, why doesn't God ever make himself clear? Well, he has already done so in the person, in the incarnation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Exodus, Moses introduced God as Yahweh to the people of Israel. And in the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the name Yahweh is translated as the Lord or Kurios in the Greek. And in Mark chapter 1, we read this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Here Mark is bringing together two prophecies, two prophecies from the Old Testament. The first is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Allow me to read what God says there. Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, this messenger will come and prepare the way for me, that is God himself, to come to his temple. In the context of Mark's gospel, of course, the messenger is John the Baptist, and the Lord who comes to the temple, the one that the messenger prepares the way for, is actually the Lord Jesus. But in the second quotation in Isaiah 40, verse 3, it's even clearer. See, the word, the Lord, in the English translation, are in the uppercase in Isaiah 40, verse 3. L-O-R-D. And that is because in Isaiah, the Lord is actually Yahweh himself, is God himself. But now this God who introduced himself to Moses as Yahweh has now made himself known to us in the person of Jesus, the Lord. 
It is not surprising, therefore, that the title Lord is used most often in the New Testament, along with the other title Christ or Messiah, to refer to Jesus. So Jesus is actually Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. If, like me, you are late to the game and you wish to get to know uh, the wildly popular Korean pop, uh, the boy group BTS, so what can you do to get to know them better? Well, you can join the ARMY fandom, right? You can read interviews about them, watch news about them, or you can view their music videos. But really, nothing beats meeting them personally, right? And all the fans are looking forward to meeting them personally one day. That is why the Lord Jesus came to reveal God personally and perfectly to us. When Philip asked to see the Father in John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus answered, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I pray that that will be the cry of your heart and mine as well. Not so much to know BTS, right, but to know God, to get to know God intimately. Because whoever you may name as your hero or heroine, this person most likely wouldn't come to even know you or care about you. But our God does, and he has already made himself known to us. If that is indeed your desire to know God deeper, then we only need to look to the person of the Lord Jesus himself. So to sum up this first point, the Lord Jesus is the new and greater prophet like Moses. He is the Lord, Yahweh, who reveals God's divine nature and character perfectly as his only begotten son. Secondly, we also see that the Lord Jesus also fulfills Moses' role as the deliverer in the book of Exodus. Going back to the burning bush in chapter 3, in, in Exodus chapter 3, this is what God said to Moses. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses was the first in the line of many judges or saviors of Israel, men like Gideon and Samson, whom God used to deliver his people to rescue them from their oppressors. And in Exodus chapters 7 to 12, Moses warned Pharaoh of the ten plagues that God was going to bring upon Egypt. In these plagues, one by one, Yahweh was defeating the gods that the Egyptians were relying upon. Each time Pharaoh hardened his heart, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh's heart was simply hardened. And this was in order that God may multiply his signs and wonders and lay his hands on Egypt and bring his people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the second reason is also given in verse 5, that the Egyptians shall know that he is the Lord when he stretches out his hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Finally, after the Passover event in Exodus chapter 12 and the deaths of all the Egyptian firstborns, finally Pharaoh relented and let God's people live 
Egypt. But the Israelite firstborns were spared because the Passover lamb died in place of them and his blood was applied on each Israelite door. And this caused God to pass over his people in peace when he came to judge the Egyptians. We see the exodus of Israel from Egypt in Exodus chapter 13, the crossing of the sea and the destruction of the pursuing Egyptians in chapter 14, and the song of Moses in Exodus 15 reminds us that God has saved us for worship, just as God had told Moses in chapter 3 verse 12, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve or worship God on this mountain. The Exodus and the Passover event is a major type or a shadow that the, the New Testament picks up upon. Its substance or fulfillment lies in the cross, right? which is shorthand for the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in how the Lord Jesus Christ ate his last supper with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed within the context of the Passover. In Luke 22, for example, the Lord invested the Passover meal with radically new meaning when he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The unleavened bread and the wine of the Last Supper took on new spiritual significance as the body and blood of Christ. Notice here in this account that there's no mention at all of the quintessential Passover lamb because Christ himself has become that lamb. The Apostle Paul makes this point crystal clear when he declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Likewise, John the, the Baptist proclaimed as he saw Jesus in John chapter 1, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This likely means that John sees the Lord as the Passover lamb as well. Now, this week, there was a glitch in DPS Bank's system, right? And it resulted in some consumers being double-charged for credit and debit card transactions. I was personally affected because of three online payments I made on Tuesday. But no need to worry because DBS promised very quickly that all, of, all automatic refunds will be made by Sunday. And I think most of us will have found that by today, it has already been refunded. All of us feel that it's unjustified to be built twice, right? to be double-charged for the same purchase. But thankfully, God's system doesn't fail in that way. See, because the lamb died, every Israelite firstborn survived, even though he should have died. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has died, we get to live as well, though we should rightfully deserve death as sinners. And that is because Christ has bought a church for us and God wouldn't double church for us for that same debt. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, 
God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has forgiven us. No more, he will not hold us accountable for our debt anymore. And yet there are some continuities, yet there are some differences as well between the Passover and Exodus event and the cross of Christ. In terms of continuity, we see that both, both events are initiated by God's grace alone and they are to be appropriated by faith. In both salvation events, a lamb is killed as a substitute so that God's wrath passes over his, his deserving people since the lamb took their place. And God's people are redeemed to worship God. And finally, both events are to be commemorated or celebrated regularly. But there are some stark differences as well. For example, in the Passover, each lamb was sufficient only for the firstborn of each household. But Christ, our Passover lamb, is sufficient for all, one for many. The power in his blood shows how precious God's own son is. In the Exodus, God's people were saved from slavery to hard labor and to Pharaoh. But at the cross, God's people are saved from slavery to sin, to Satan, and to eternal condemnation. So which is the greater sacrifice? Which is the greater rescue? Surely the one that involved the death of God's own son and carries eternal consequences. The Passover and Exodus, as the keystone event in Israel's history, serves as a shadow to that greater Passover, to unveil the greater salvation event at the cross. And so we have the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection, fulfilling the role of Moses as the deliverer in Exodus. Jesus is the one who leads us out of slavery to sin into the freedom of righteousness. His cross is the fullest meaning of the Passover, and it frees us, it rescues us from God's judgment. Lastly, we also see that the Lord Jesus fulfills Israel's role as the obedient son of Exodus as well. Now, let me ask you, what are some traits that make up Singaporean DNA? Okay, so if you cut a D, uh, Singaporean, what do you see? Well, according to this article, the number one trait is how we are being kiasu, right? We are afraid to lose to others. And it shows up in us from young, right? Pushing ourselves to score well, to be the best in everything, from airport ranking to the most competitive economy, right? Which very sadly, uh, just recently, we just lost, right? We just dropped from top spots to fifth. Second, I think we all agree that uh, it's, the word complain, complain, complain. And in this second trait, I think we are not too far off from the ancient, Israelite, uh, ancient Israelites. From the outset of Israel's life outside of Egypt, their national identity was characterized by complaining. When harshly treated by the Egyptian taskmasters in Exodus chapter 5, they complained and they cursed Moses and Aaron. When pursued by Pharaoh and his army in Exodus 14, they again complained against Moses. 
And then in chapters 15 to 17, we find them complaining three more times. At Marah, because there was no drinking water, no drinkable water. In the wilderness of sin, because food was running out. At Massa and Meribah, again because of water. Each time God met their needs through the supernatural gift of water when Moses threw a lock into the water to heal it. And later he struck the rock to bring forth a, a spring, as well as by God's own miraculous provision of manna and quail in the wilderness. God is able to provide if his people only stop complaining. In chapter 16, verse 4, God told Moses the purpose for this miraculous provision, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God was testing Israel. And Israel proved in this test, Israel proved to be an ungrateful and disobedient son in his constant testing of God in his complaints against God. But in the New Testament, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew, we are given the picture of a very different Son of God in the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, an angel appeared to Joseph, warning him to take the infant Jesus and his mother and to flee to Egypt until the death of Herod, who was trying to kill Jesus. And Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I caught my son. Now these words by Hosea the prophet referred to the historical exodus when God in his love caught his son Israel out of Egypt. But now this prophecy was being applied to the Lord Jesus who entered Egypt as a refugee and was later caught out from there. And Matthew will continue to compare Jesus and Israel. For example, in chapter 4, when the Lord was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And the first test was also about food. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the Lord Jesus, his 40 days of fasting parallel the 40 years of Israel wandering in the wilderness due to their disobedience. Unlike the disobedient ancient Israelites, the Lord Jesus resisted the devil and he remained faithful and obedient to his father. By so doing, he proves what the devil had challenged him, him about that he is the true Son of God. All the way to the cross, we find Jesus saying as God's obedient Son, not as I will, but as you will. Now, another trait, another common trait of Singaporeans is our orderliness, our compliance with authority, right? So one of my kids in particular, he hates to wear a mask whenever we are out. So how to comply with the law? Well, he tries to find loopholes. Since you're allowed to remove your mask outdoors only when drinking water, right? So he learns to sip his water slowly, right? All the way home. 
Now, if you are being honest, that's actually each one of us in our hearts, right? We've all felt the urge to break the law of the land and to break God's law. And sometimes we, we don't dare to do it because of fear. But sometimes we do it and we may justify it in our own hearts. Or perhaps outwardly we are keeping the law, but inwardly we are complaining about it. Only the Lord Jesus himself is sinless and perfect in his obedience to the Father, both in his outward appearance as well as in his heart. And that is why the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, Christ is the unblemished, sinless Passover lamb who ransoms us for God. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. Going to verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was faithful to God and therefore he was worthy of honour as a servant of God. But the Lord Jesus is counted more worthy of glory because of his faithful obedience as a son. So how do we respond to Jesus, the new and greater Moses, who is the prophet, deliverer, and obedient son of Exodus? Firstly, I think in our, in our response to Jesus as the new and greater prophet, the new and greater uh, deliverer, and the new and greater obedient son, we can listen to Jesus as the perfect prophet. If the Lord Jesus is God's perfect prophet, then the writer of Hebrews tells us to listen to him here. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Who do you listen to? Well, during circuit breaker last year, because of perhaps too much time on my hand, I found myself chasing up news articles and government circulars on the COVID situation locally and around the world. And these were archived by date painstakingly, taking up close to 1.5 gigabytes on my computer. My poor son was also affected by this because he could rattle off the number of cases in each country daily. There was a sense of helpless despair as we heard of millions of infections and deaths. And we grew, grew and grew in anxiety and fear as we traced the places that COVID-positive patients visited. This year, for the sake of sanity, I chose to tune out most of this news and choose to tune in to God instead. 
because our circumstances and the world around us speak an alternative message, difference to the Lord. And it draws us from the life-giving words of Christ. It draws us nearer to faith, to the fear and unbelief. Satan whispers into our hearts, God doesn't love you. He doesn't want the best for you. But in Christ, the prophet, God has demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So brothers and sisters and friends, let's make a conscientious effort to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus by reading or hearing the Bible. Instead of filling our minds with fear, let the Spirit speak faith into our hearts personally, as well as as couples and families. And on this Father's Day weekend, it's also a good reminder to all the dads that it's actually the role of men as fathers to take the lead in this, as much as it is also our personal responsibility. Secondly, we, are also, we can also depend on Jesus because he's our gracious deliverer. The writer of Hebrews assures us that we are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, our hope in his Son. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Jesus' work on the cross as our unblemished Passover lamb is perfect and has perfectly accomplished our redemption once for all. So, brothers, sisters, let us hold fast our faith and confidence in the Lord's saving work on our behalf. Trust not in the strength of our own hands or the cunning of our own minds, if we are to boast, boast only in the Lord. Third, if Jesus is the obedient Son of God, then we are called to follow him. Rather than complaining because of our circumstances, the writer of Hebrews writes to remind us to consider Jesus, the, the, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. By Christ's faithful obedience, he has shown us the path of life through faith and obedience. And we are to consider his life and sacrifice. We are to follow Christ in his love for God and for others, so that we may enter this rest that God has provided for us by his Son. So if we wish to know God, if we wish to be saved by God, and we wish to obey God, we simply have to look to God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the substance that fulfills the shadow of Exodus. Let me end now with two more shadowy images. The first image should look quite familiar to many of us, especially parents, and it is the first ultrasound scan that we had of our youngest girl in July 2015. Now, this third child was actually unplanned, right? because while we initially planned to have either two or four children, we decided to stop after two, because June had uh, some health issues after number two. She was on medication. But this unborn, unplanned baby came, and we were very worried because uh, all this while June was taking medication, we were worried how she would turn out. But she was born in January 2016, and she has now become the joy of her siblings, and 
us as parents as well. I think we have an image of her. Okay. So this was an unplanned surprise that became a joy for us. The second image is from November 2018. Now you may remember that I had a tumour growth in September 2018, and that was initially diagnosed as a gastrointestinal stroma tumour, or GIST for short, and I was diagnosed to be roughly in stage 3 or stage 4. Okay, and this is a PET scan of uh, that tumour. For two months, multiple tests proved to be inconclusive, and surgery was actually planned. Initially, the plan was to remove the tumour, along with parts of my stomach, as well as intestines. Okay, but by God's grace, I remember the church prayed for us, uh, even as, as a family, we looked to the Lord. And by God's grace, we were given peace from God. We were never anxious. By God's grace, the biopsy result after surgery confirmed that this was a benign uh, nerve sheath tumour. And so now I'm completely well. And I've marked down these dates step by step from September 2018 onwards to remind myself, to remind my family of God's mercy towards us. Different shadows may cast in our lives different things. Right? It may bring either joy or sorrow. It may bring pain or relief. In our finite, finite knowledge, we cannot know what it is for sure from the shadow. But God who knows us, He also knows all things and is perfectly able and willing to save. And He has already done so through His Son. And so whether in feast or in fellow, through joy or and through sorrow, the Lord Jesus speaks God's love to us as His prophet. He saves us from His judgment as His deliverer. And he shows us the way to live now as God's obedient son. And so we can look in full confidence to the son until he comes to us or calls us home. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you are the God who mercifully saved your people Israel from bondage in Egypt. You are the same God who saved us from bondage to sin and your wrath. Thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus, has revealed your salvation plan to us and accomplished it at the cross. The cross is the fullest meaning of the, the Passover, and by Christ, our Passover Lamb, who was sacrificed for us, you have rescued us from judgment. So in the shadows of our life, please help us to look to Jesus, your perfect, obedient Son who trusted his Father and obeyed you perfectly, setting an example for our faith and obedience. So by faith in Christ and in his saving work, we pray this. Amen.